Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for November 12th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we talked to a beef broker at the Oklahoma National Stockyards about the challenges cattle ranchers have faced in 2020 and what's ahead next year. We also catch up with James Meeks of Triple M Farms, who tells us about how COVID-19 has affected his produce business. And we learn about the recently upgraded Center & Sons cotton gin in Osceola. We also talk to Terry Laster of Union County about the pandemic problems that have hit poultry growers. First, Keith Sutton sits down with Travis Center II to talk about the changes they've made at his family's Center & Sons gin in Osceola and what it means for cotton farmers in Northeast Arkansas. Welcome to AgCast. This is Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. Today, my guest is Travis Center II, or Little Travis, as his friends call him. Uh, Travis is one of the owners of Center and Sons Gin in Osceola. Welcome to AgCast, Travis. Yeah, nice to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you with us today. Uh, We wanted to talk to you a little bit about some good stuff y'all got going on at your cotton gin in Osceola. You're making some upgrades there that uh, folks might want to know about. What can you tell us about all that? Yeah, we, uh, you know, we're a small gin. We're a family-owned gin. Uh, we we built the gin in 1995, just basically gin our own cotton, and to kind of get away and, you know, to be more self-sufficient. That's kind of the, the goal we tried to do. And, uh, you know, we we gin several years, and, and it, it finally got to the point where, you know, it's either quit quit doing it, quit ginning, or, or do some upgrades and uh, kind of make some more automation and Kind of, you know, the the labor force that we have to deal with is, is more hard to find good people and be, you know, consistently good people. And uh, so we we basically went out on a limb here and said, you know, if we're gonna we're gonna continue to do this, we need to we need to buy some more equipment and uh, and to do some upgrades. There there might be people actually listening, Travis, who who don't really know about cotton gins. Uh, just to, it's kind of basic, I know, but for those who uh, might be listening in today and, and aren't sure what happens in a cotton gin, can you kind of uh, give them a basic explanation of, of what y'all do there? Yeah, it's interesting because when you say that, because I've had several people that, you know, they, they always drive by a cotton gin, they see things from the outside, or they've even been through it just like real quickly, but, you know, to make a a full tour of a cotton gin is pretty fascinating, all the things that go on with it. Um, you know, for the most part, most people see the, the round cotton modules with the yellow wrap in the field. Right. And, uh, you know, we basically pick those up from, from the fields, and we put them in our mod feeder, and that feeder basically, you know, we take off the wrap. we It chops the cotton up. It runs it through several drying stages and then several cleaning stages where it basically just fluffs the cotton around. And from there it goes into the the gin stands is where kind of the magic happens. The gin stand is what takes the the lint from the seed. So the lint then goes through another series of cleaning processes to kind of get rid of the burrs and sticks and things like that. And then, you know, it's blowing a lot of air on it and trying to get a lot of the dirt and and debris off of it. From there it then goes into the press, which is basically what makes a cotton bale. And the press, you know, has a, a really, really high load of pressure strapping mechanism and then from there it's bagged and you know it's then put in a truck and sent to cotton mills all over the world you never know where your cotton ends up 
But uh, the the big upgrade we've done this year is, is to, to upgrade our press, which is kind of one of the biggest pieces of equipment in the gym and somewhat, you know, the most, you know, finicky to, to make sure it's working properly. And the old one we had, there's nothing wrong with it. It just required a lot of annual labor, opening of doors, manually tying the, the, the straps and things like that. So what we've done is basically put a brand new one in that has, you know, better cylinders, better pressure. Um, we've added moisture to it, the cotton, to, to kind of help with some of the pressing mechanisms for, for it. Um, automated the tying part of it, which is, you know, labor intensive. We basically got rid of about four people that we were required to have all the time with this, you know, automation stuff we put in there. And, uh, you know, a lot of the big gens have had some of this stuff for a while. We just kind of were slow to upgrade because you don't really know kind of what the nature of cotton is. But, you know, we knew we knew we were going to grow cotton, and we, we own land, and we – we're gonna, you know, when we farmland, and we're gonna, we're gonna plant cotton. We're gonna have cotton for this gin, and uh, so we knew we were gonna do it. And so it's just a matter of, you know, just biting the bullet and and doing these upgrades. So uh, people may not know, and we should tell them, uh, y'all are in Mississippi County, up in the northeast part of the state. Uh, yep. And you're not only ginning cotton, you're raising cotton. How many acres of cotton do y'all have this year? We have right around between us and our partner. We have uh, we we partner with a, a good friend of ours, Ron Holthouse, and uh, you know we he has his own land. We have ours, and we do some together fifty fifty, and uh, we do all of our harvesting together. And uh, all told, I think we were at fifty five hundred acres of, of cotton that we had uh, this year to, to, to pick. And then we also rent some land out to some other growers, and they bring us cotton as well. Um, but you know we are a small gin, and we are you know one of the smallest. I think. Could be the smallest for sure in the county, maybe even the state. But, uh, you know, we're still going. There's a lot of gins that are going out of business because, you know, it's just hard to kind of keep up with it. But we know we're going to grow cotton. We know we like to be self-sufficient if we can and control our own destiny, basically. Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of people might be thinking, well, you know, 2020 hadn't been the, the, the nicest year to everybody so far. I don't know a better way to put it. And uh, That's for sure. they might be thinking, well, this would be a difficult time maybe to make all these improvements. But y'all have uh, forged ahead with that, and uh, are you complete now with all the uh, improvements you're going to make? We Well, we are for this year. It's, it's kind of interesting you say that. Um, you know, we made the decision to upgrade back in December when things were, were great and easy. It seems like it's been a very difficult year for sure. Um about the time that, you know, the, the COVID-19, you know, kind of hit in March, you know, we were already, you know, working on tearing a lot of our old existing equipment out. And, you know, it was, it was do or die then. You you knew you had to go and uh, because you weren't going to put that stuff back, back in. Um, about May the 25th, we kind of were completed with everything we had to do. So now we're waiting on the company that's going to come in and install the press and all these other automation stuff. And they, uh, you know, um, they they anticipated a June delivery. That's kind of what we were shooting for. Well, June came and went, and then July came and went. They blamed it on supplier issues and things like that. So, you know, about August, it was kind of like, you know, it's either going <laughs> to happen or not. And, you know, we grow cotton. We plant cotton in May. We usually harvest in October. So, you know, that cotton plant doesn't care about COVID-19. Right. It's going to grow, and it's going to produce. And so... We knew we had to be ready by October, and that you know we were hoping to give you know to give us some time to you know kind of work some of the kinks out. So right. basically, they come in in August and started working on it, 
And, I mean, it was kind of finished about the day we had cotton brought in, you know. Wow. And we went straight to ginning and straight to, to producing bales. And there were a lot of kinks to work out. I can guarantee you that. It was very, 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 very um, time-consuming to, to get all these little things worked out. And there was a lot of uncertainty. You know, we were just, is this going to work? Is this, you know, do we need to do this different? If we'd had yeah. another extra month, couple of months, it would have been easier for us. But, you know, I mean – it's never easy, and it's always something going on. There's always going to be problems. You just deal with what what the cards are dealt, and uh, you know, go from there. And uh, things have worked really well. And then, you know, we're probably halfway through with our ginning season. We we maybe just a little bit over halfway, and uh, okay. you know, with the bales we're going to produce. And just man, in the last two or three weeks, it's been really smooth, and we we've, we've been able to, you know, these. So these upgrades that we've done doesn't actually increase the capacity of the gin. Right. To be able to gin more bales per 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 hour, which we'll work on those as we go. But this kind of gives us something to grow upon. So it does give us in- increased capacity. We just have to increase some of our other pieces of equipment to match it. But what it has done is just given us the ability to, you know, I kind of liken it to, I don't know if you, you, you've spoken to farmers about GPS guidance. You know, it doesn't make things just ridiculously easy, but it does make it where you don't have to work as hard because you don't right. concentrate all day. So you're able to be more consistent with the bales you're, you're putting out. And um, so, you know, our, you know, we, we've probably 30% over some of our 10 day averages as of right now, just because we're able to, to gin more cotton in a day without tiring everybody out. You don't have as many workers to be right. tired. And uh, so it makes it a lot better. And uh, moving forward, you know, we can, uh, you know, buy more pieces of equipment or, you know, even find some stuff in older gyms that are going out of business and increase some of our capacities and get us to to where we need to be or want to be, you know, so. Well, we're starting to see uh, uh, more gyms opening up around the state in the past couple of years. Not a lot, but some. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would imagine up around Osceola and Mississippi County, your area where so much cotton's grown, uh, the opening or or Proving uh, on your gen is of uh, big importance to the local cotton farmers. Would you agree? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's, uh, you know, cotton farming is, it, it's taken a hit over the years with some of the prices being as low as they were. It seems like 2006 was one of the, uh, you know, the last year that was really a lot of big acres. It's kind of right. declined since then. It was a lot of, you know, a lot of China had a lot of stock, you know, and so it was just really, you know, the, the price was depressed. But, you know, it's always been, Right there, it's kind of right on the cusp of being profitable if you can kind of tighten up some of your margins. But, you know, with a lot of these cotton gins that are around, and we can gin quickly, and not just us, you know, but some of the other larger ones, you know, a cotton farmer or a grower that wants to grow cotton, there's a lot of people that that think about it. And, you know, you can get the cotton out and, you know, pick it up and and gin and and done and and makes it a lot easier for everybody. So uh, we hope, you know, we hope the prices will will continue to go up or increase for us and, uh, you know, you just never know what the future holds. You just got to be able to to adapt to it and uh, and make it work to your advantage. And so uh, we're we're probably getting pretty close to the end of the harvest season this year. Has it has it been a good year for uh, farmers? It it has been a good year. Um, you know the the pricing for if you look at you know corn and soybeans prices like that, those prices have have continually risen in the last, you know, several weeks because of some supply issues and carryover issues that they've had. And uh, we grow, you know, so we, we are a farmer also. We grow uh, rice, 
soybeans, corn, cotton, kind of a, a mix, you, you say. And uh, so we're, you know, we're able to, to kind of diversify as we need it. But, uh, you know, our, our, our bread and butter is cotton. And uh, if we can increase our cotton acres, you know, that's just going to make our gin more profitable. So we, we'd we like to be able to do that. And uh, I think, you know, you never know what the future will hold, but we'll we'll, we'll adapt as needed. Well, we'll hope to uh, visit with you again maybe in the future and hear uh, what new things come along down the path. And we appreciate you taking time today to uh, share with everybody what y'all got going on there in Osceola. We wish you the best of luck. Yeah, it's it's definitely exciting, and you know we do it, we enjoy it because you know we're able to to maybe see some improvements that we can do in the future, and uh, I, I think it just opens up a lot of possibilities for us to to get better and to to adapt and, and make it work for us. Super deal! Thank you so much, Trash. We appreciate you being with us. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Next, Ken Moore spoke with Terry Laster of Union County about how COVID-19 affected his poultry operation and whether or not things are getting back to normal in the industry. I'm Ken Moore, and today I'm visiting with Terry Laster. Terry is a member of the Arkansas Farm Bureau State Board of Directors and is one of our outstanding poultry farmers from Union County. We're just visiting with Terry to kind of get an update on how the year has gone for you, Terry. Thank you for visiting with us just a few minutes here today. I know back in March, everything then went south for you guys down there on your farm. But we're just wanting to know, you know, how things have progressed as we work through the summer and now we're about to end the year. So tell us how this uh, COVID-19 pandemic affected you and your operation. And I know in the beginning it wasn't very easy. You know, no, it was a, uh, it's been a tough year on everybody. I I guess overall, um, since the COVID hit, uh, you know, they had to uh, shut the plant down, and we were out of birds for quite a while, about seven weeks. Since then, we've uh, they've come back online slowly, um, not getting as many birds as we were, and out times are still uh, more than what they were before the COVID hit. But uh, we're just thankful to get birds back moving through the house and get some income back rolling on the farm. Just kind of talk us through the process that you had to go through as you worked through the summer and now this fall. Uh, How, you know, what have you had to do? What adjustments have you had to make? You know, the the, uh, biggest thing we've had to do is is the time out. We we had a lot of time out to spend more on the cattle farm. Uh, It's not what we wanted to do, but... uh, there's not a whole lot. We did some some maintenance things while we were down on our poultry houses that we normally would do. But uh, other than that, mostly it was just time. The time being out, and that's when you're not making any money. You've got to have some birds going through those houses to, to make some money. And uh, that was our biggest obstacle is the time being down. Sure, because you need to continue to be working. You don't want to be down. You don't want to have empty houses. Uh, you need those birds in there on a regular basis. When you grow out a flock, you have them uh, taken out, and then you, you replace those flocks, right? And, uh, and so it's just a cyclical type of uh, business that you go through each and every year. So those out times uh, are very, very hard. So uh, so how, and, and again, it kind of you're at the mercy of the uh, processing plants, right? So when they shut down, you know, everything else behind them shuts down. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 
You know, we, we hadn't got any control over that, and uh, I know the processing plants didn't have any control either. They had to they had to do what they had to do to shut it down for the safety of the workers and the food. But, uh, you know, now that things are back going uh, pretty good, you know, I mean, there's still some little hiccups here and there, but, you know, for far as overall, the the our plant and our facility is running pretty smooth. I know the workers have been taken care of. I mean, they're all back to work. So we're slowly getting back to full capacity. They're just uh, they're making sure that uh, everything goes good through the end of the year before they up capacity back to 100%. Uh, the federal government knew President Trump, uh, Secretary Purdue, realized early on that this was going to be a disaster for American agriculture, and especially once these processing plants started having outbreaks and shutting down in the poultry industry and even in the beef cattle production industry as well. Uh, and so there had to be federal assistance. Were you able to take advantage of any of those federal assistance programs that we had available to producers like yourself earlier in the year? You know, on the on the beef side, there were there were some uh, some incentives from the government to help, but you know, on the poultry side, there was there was not any incentives at all from the government because we're under a contract, and uh, that really hurts us because there wasn't our 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 integrator didn't help us out any at all. We had no out time pay at all. So normally, where we were out ten days. We were out seven weeks, and we didn't get any out-time pay at all. So there's a lot of growers that still, we lost one whole batch of birds. So that's one paycheck out of the year that we lost. So, you know, we're trying to make that up, and it'll take a while to get that made back up. Does that mean that some integrators may have uh, allowed you to, you know, qualify and apply for that program? And I'm thinking in particular of the uh, PPP or the Payment Protection Program where some of these uh poultry farmers like yourselves could pay your workers when you didn't have any other way to do so right right there that now the ppp and all that there were uh, we were able to apply for that um the government money that i'm talking about is uh like on the beef you know you got paid so much per animal unit so on the poultry side we we didn't do that because of where the contract but yeah there are there are integrators that pay out time pay after a certain amount of days that you're out, but our integrator does not pay that. Well, sorry to hear that, Terry, but uh, you know, like all other agricultural producers, regardless of the commodity, whether it's row crop or in your case poultry, uh, you're very resilient, and we just hope and pray that next year's a better year. Yeah, you know that's uh, optimism every year. Next year, next flock the next day everything's going to get better so i believe it will tell us how long you've been raising birds down there in union county now uh since 1993 that's been 27 years so and i know that in uh in union county in your area you used to grow for an integrator and correct me if i'm wrong that actually went out of business and pulled out back a number of years ago so you uh were able to and other farmers to start back up again right uh not too long ago uh and so that didn't happen everywhere that was a one particular poultry company that just pulled up stakes and left you kind of without anything to do for a while yeah yeah that was uh that was a pretty troubling times they just quit and left us um, nowhere to go with our birds no other integrators to take our birds to take any birds uh from so we were out without birds for five years so 
we uh, drove by them every day and watched them sit there idle. So uh, after five years, we got a we got a deal with another integrator. Finally, another one come in. So anyway, we got uh, birds back, and uh, you know nowadays you that that's some of the things that uh, that makes you a little more thankful because five years uh, being without birds was a long time. Seven weeks wasn't too bad. Uh, but I understand a lot of people's got bills to pay. I mean, notes to pay and things like that. So that's uh, that's different when you got a note. But anyway, I'm just thankful to be back growing birds. We are too, Terry, and we thank you for your leadership and the fact that uh, you and your family are some of our outstanding leaders down there in Union County. Thank you so much for your leadership here on our state board of directors too. All right, thank you, Ken. Been talking to Terry Laster. A uh, poultry farmer from down in uh, Strong, Arkansas, in Union County, on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. Now Greg Patterson talks to Oklahoma National Stockyards beef broker Jamie Morris, whose territory includes Arkansas. He updates us on this difficult year for cattle ranchers and looks ahead to 2021. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, our guest today is Jamie Morris, and Jamie is a beef broker with the Western Commission Company, and spends a lot of time at the Oklahoma City National Stockyards and talking to all the beef brokers. Welcome, Jamie. Good to be here, Greg. And you and I talked uh, way back in March. There were some, some bumps and blips going on in the beef market at the time that were concerning, and then all of a sudden COVID roared its ugly head, and here we are you know, seven, eight months later, and I figured, let's give Jamie a call and find out what's going on with beef. Um, What's your perspective over the last, you know, half year and what's going on in the beef market? Well, you know, everybody, you know, we're still in a pandemic. You know, everybody's hoping for the vaccine shortly that'll kind of fix a lot of our problems. I tell you, you know, the beef demand has stayed good through all this. the worst thing, you know, we're, we've still got a problem on our packer in, you know, as far as prices. We're still, you know, trying to get them to a level where we're having a hard time getting out of the 106 $107 range. You know, at the end of the day, it's hard to overcome that. The packers are still making a lot of money. You know, it's just not trickling down to the producers. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's, that's a, a serious issue because um, that's one thing that hasn't changed. Uh, in regards to our initial phone call back in March, you, you mentioned that towards the end of that interview. And um, is there any light at the end of the tunnel there, or or what's going on? You know, a lot of people talk about regulation, you know, trying to do this and that with the Packers. But at the end of the day, you know, we're in a situation because, you know, four Packers kill most of the cattle in the United States. We, we're at the point where we have to have them. Uh, you know, about the only thing that could really change this thing in a really positive direction, in my opinion, is maybe, you know, hopefully somewhere another packer may come in, you know, be another corporate that's either never been in it or wants to dip their feet into it. Uh, we're seeing, you know, on a small scale, we're seeing the government's backing a lot of loans for these custom kill plants, you know, and we're probably taking a, a, a little bit of the beef off the market from out of the packer's control. And that will help some, but at the end of the day, that's still a drop in the bucket. You know, we need a we need another large corporate packer. 
Yeah, yeah. Because in in my discussions with a lot of the guys who are doing, you know, have shifted to custom beef, of course, with all the online sales that have been a result of the pandemic as well. Uh, There's some CARES money that's going into uh, reestablishing these smaller custom operations. There's probably $10 million in Arkansas that's come from CARES money to go into that and and a a move to reestablish state inspections for the sales in in state. But as you say, when all is said and done on a national perspective, that's a drop in the bucket. Yes, yes. You know, when you look at what's on the half a million cattle a week, you know, uh, and any numbers help. You know, I don't want to downplay it. You know, I'm, I'm glad to see it, and I hope they're all successful. But, it, yes, when you start looking at the numbers, it's, it's not going to make a huge impact on the number of kill available to the packers. Now, what are what are some of the other issues that you see on the horizon um, as we move to – Thank God, in 2020, and hopefully, you know, have have like you say, vaccine, and can get out of this COVID thing. What are what are some of the other things you're seeing as as you're discussing what's going on with some of your contemporaries and the, and the cattlemen that you talk to? You know, everybody realizes, you know, we need to, we need the economy to get going. You know, I think as far as the right. cattle industry, you know, hope. Hope is that once we get going again, you know, restaurants on their full capacity, maybe we'll start moving more high-end cuts of meat, uh, you know. But, you know, as people travel, you know, go to more restaurants. But at the end of the day, you know, I think everybody's biggest concern is, you know, we've just got to get out of this pandemic. You know, there's still a lot of a lot of fears, you know, with the, with the Packers. Someday have a closed one plan, you know, more. You know, right. I think once we could ever get past that point, you know, I, everybody seems real hopeful that once we get away from it, it could, you know, help the industry quite a bit. You know, another thing, you know, with the election being over, you know, uh, a lot of people are hoping our trade. We might find some real trade. And we've seen recently some of our meat sales have gone up, you know. Hopefully we start moving a little more meat in places we haven't been moving it. Right. Right. So the big issue, obviously, is the solution to the pandemic because that is inextricably tied to the economy, the overall economy. Yes. And in in your case, in the in the beef economy, I'm sure it is in in every sector of agriculture as well. So so that'll be a big big issue as we roll into to 2021. How about how about weather? I know down in the in the, I guess in the southwest, there's been some uh, some serious issues with uh, uh, drought, you know, near the the stockyards and different things like yes. that. Is is talk a little bit about what's going on with that? Really, you know, from about September all through October, we were extremely dry. I've seen a lot of our ponds up in this region, you know, getting low. You know, it was, it's you know getting pretty serious. Uh, there was a lot of people that got the wheat planted, just never got any moisture on it, you know, and that, our market definitely, after two weeks ago, was showing the results of that. You know, the calf trade had gotten pretty tough. But with this recent rain, last storm that we had a couple of weeks ago, we got some good moisture up in this region. It's definitely helped the wheat pasture prospects. Uh, we're starting to see some people talk about it, and I'm, I'm going to say within next week, 10 days, a lot of those people probably 
Kevin DeMarcus, start buying some Cavs fleet pasture. You know, uh, you know, we still have some low ponds, and a lot of our more recent guys absorbed, you know, the soil. But you know, we'd still take a little pond water up in this country, but we're in so much better shape versus two weeks ago. Uh, you know, you get farther out in western Oklahoma, you know, they they feel pretty good about their wheat prospects all of a sudden as well. You know, uh, I know, you know, you get a little further west, I've had severe droughts and fires, and, you know, I, that's kind of a little out of my pocket, but as far as north central and starting to the western part of Oklahoma, we're in, like I said, a lot better shape than we was uh, two weeks ago. Right. Now, um, Obviously, Arkansas's you know big in, in cow calf operations, and, and their animals get finished out of state. They go to the, the feedlots and whatnot. How about your discussions with with uh, ranchers in Arkansas, beef producers, and anything scuttlebutt you're hearing from them in regards to how they're either doing things differently with their herds right now, maybe holding some back, or are they trying to move them out as quickly as possible? Just what's, what's your feel on, on Western Arkansas? You know, I'm seeing a lot of people holding calves. You know, uh, ones are, you know, like a lot of people there, hoping for a better market. You know, uh, luckily this year with y'all's moisture, y'all have had plenty of grass. Right, you know, right. <laughs> Southern Arkansas, I was down there last week. There were still a few people trying to cut hay yet, finish up down there, you know. And that's giving them the ability to hold some cattle without having to purchase a lot of feed, uh, you know. And, and those, those, I think a lot of people, you know, the COVID relief funds have definitely probably given them a little bit more money to hold on, you know, to make ends meet and have right. the ability to hold on. But, uh, you know, I think we're kind of getting to that point where we're going to start seeing a lot of those calves moving. Uh, you know, up here in, at Oklahoma City, October is probably the the slowest October I've ever I know it's the slowest October of my lifetime I've ever seen. You know, we had a lot of weeks we found just three to six thousand. In you know, typical years you might see twelve to fourteen thousand. Yeah, you know, yeah, a lot of that's just people for different reasons holding cattle. Most of it, you know, is hope, hoping for a better market. You know, but those cattle don't go kind of at that point where they're ready to start coming. And, and what are you seeing now that we're, you know, more than half a year into this pandemic in a different way of of people, uh, you know, restaurants obviously just opened partially, the hotels and, and stuff, you know, again, same types of things. How are you seeing uh, consumers doing different things? You know, you see a lot of frustration. You know, the American public, they, you know, they want to, you know, they want to be out and about. They want to be able to go out to eat. They want to go on vacation. They want to go out. You see more frustration than anything. Uh, now, here in Oklahoma, uh, you know, you're going to see probably a little more uh, people that, you know, kind of lean that direction where they're, by God, they're going to go out and they're going to enjoy a meal. Get the COVID, you get the COVID. It's kind of their approach. You know, you're not seeing a lot of, as a whole, a lot of hunkering down. You know, people are wanting to get out and are forced to get out to make a living. You know, uh, you know, we're still seeing a lot of restrictions at restaurants, different things like that. But, uh, you know, the American public, at least in this region, are ready to move on and do things, get out. 
How about how about differences in in what they're buying in the grocery stores as far as beef is concerned? You know, you don't. You know, we had a lot of the oil industry's been hurt here in Oklahoma. There's been a lot of unemployment in that area. A lot of people that had good jobs have been laid off or lost those jobs. You know, and I'm sure you're seeing some lower end cuts purchased over your high end beef purchases. Uh, it amazes me. We're starting to see where you, the meat shelf's not empty like it was there for a long time. You know, a lot of that fear that everybody was buying more meat, you know, than they bought two years to get through for a month. And <laughs> you're seeing, you know, you're seeing a lot of, there's none of that fear. You don't see that so much anymore. But, right, you right. know, the, you know, people, I, they got to be aware when they go to the grocery store, you know, at, at different prices of meat, you know, if, you know, we've got to compete with pork. If the pork's a little cheaper, you know, you might see a lot of those households where income's been reduced. They're going to lean that way. They have to. Sure, you know. sure. But, How know, about um, as we move to the th- – give me some good news for 2021 for for our Arkansas producers uh, and, and what you see moving forward. You know, the – Best news I could see out there is we're on the verge of having a vaccine for this COVID. Uh, you know, I think once that happens, I think we're going to see a lot of the industry go wide open. You know, and people that have been kind of pulling back, I, I think they're going to get the horse to the range, you know, let it go. If that happens, I think, you know, it could definitely be beneficial to the cattle market. But, at the, you know, at the end of the day, we're still we've got to get some of the money from the Packers that they're making. They, you know, they're going to have to share some of that wealth to get this thing going. Until we can quit looking at these one old something dollar fat cattle, we're kind of forced to, you know, just kind of, you know, hope to make a living in this business, you know. And I don't see that changing drastically until there's some money made. And, it, you know, it's just like a, when you lose money, it's always a trickle-down effect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you if know. you're not getting that money from from the Packers, that means those farmers, uh, ranchers throughout Western Arkansas and Oklahoma, and the folks you're yeah. you're around at the stockyard, they're not making money. No, and it's you know same with the wheat farmers. You know, last year they had a lot of steers going out on wheat pastures that were three hundred dollar head losers. They're not going to run out there. I don't care what happens to the board. Until they make some money, they're not going to go out there and give a huge price for these cattle until they make some money. You know, right. uh, they're very aware they're looking at dollar thirty feeder cattle if you go out to future projections, you know, and they're going to try to buy them, buy them accordingly. They're not going to be – yeah, they're not going to reach out there and give more than they have to because they have not any money. Well, he's Jamie Morris. He is a beef broker with the Western Commission Company. Spends a lot of time at the uh, Oklahoma City National Stockyard and and back and forth between Oklahoma and Arkansas and the region itself. Uh, Jamie, thank you so much for spending time with us on uh, Arkansas AgCast. I hope you all have a good holiday season over there. Finally, Ken Moore catches up with James Meeks of Triple M Farms near Hamburg in Ashley County, a commercial tomato and watermelon operation that also offers U-Pick produce. Ken caught up with Meeks at Arkansas Farm Bureau's resolutions meeting, and he shared how COVID-19 and the safety protocols affected his business. I'm Ken Moore. On this edition of Arkansas AgCast, 
I am at the Arkansas Farm Bureau Annual Resolutions Committee meeting, and I'm visiting with one of our county leaders from Ashley County, Mr. James Meeks. James is owner of Triple M Farms, one of our outstanding horticultural operations in uh, Ashley County outside of Hamburg. And James is a good friend, and I haven't had a chance to catch up with James yet this year, but he's here at this meeting today. And James, let's just visit for a few minutes. Tell us, uh, we've been hearing all over from our farm and ranch leaders across the state of Arkansas how they have dealt with the COVID-19 pandemic, how it's affected their farming operations, whether it be row crop, uh, cattle, you know, poultry. How's it affected your operation this year? We have actually, going into the year, we were a little fearful. We didn't know what to expect, but ended up, we've probably had one of our best years uh, that we've had in a long time, especially in the uh, our local sales. We have a uh, pick and a local farm market, and uh, people came from all over. We had more customers from Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri coming in and buying produce that uh, that hadn't been uh, we hadn't seen before, just because uh, there's doing more canning, more uh, uh, eating fresh vegetables at home. So we were pleased with the uh, our uh, crop, even even our uh, uh, commercial sales to uh, the commercial outlets was up this year. We we had a really uh, I'd say a, a very good year. That's fantastic. I'm glad to know that business did not slow down once uh, people had to start staying home, if you will, distancing. I think it was really uh, the most difficult months were when it first broke out in March, April, and May. And then as the summer went on, you know, people kind of got adjusted to it. Uh, The school year ended. We got into the summer months. And so I was hoping that you would have good traffic. Yeah, we even had a fall crop, which is the first time we've done in several years. Uh, fall tomatoes, pumpkins, watermelons, and uh, just finishing up right now. And uh, they, we had a, trouble keeping enough produce. It, it was just a, uh, now our fall crop was not as quite as good. The uh, hurricanes hit a couple of times, messed up the quality of our fruit, but uh we uh, did not get to reach out as far, but we sold most of it locally, and it was it was everybody wants fresh produce. They do that, and in fact, I'm hearing from a lot of our uh, smaller cattle operations that have locally raised beef and pork, if you will, uh, cattle and swine operations that are having it processed and then selling it right off the farm. Uh, their demand went way up uh, because there was a shortage in the grocery stores, as we know. Uh, back in the spring and early summer. Yeah, I think there's uh, been a, some interest and maybe even a new packing house going in in our area where uh, a young couple are selling their uh, own beef and processing it. And uh, and I'm glad to see it. I'm glad to see young people doing uh, stepping out and doing these kind of things. And it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a market there that I didn't realize it was available to us. And if I was 20 years younger, I might would think about doing the same thing to market some of my beef. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, now, when uh, you have people come to the farm, I know uh, you do have that UPIC uh, produce garden that you have there in addition to your uh, fresh tomatoes and watermelons that you sell commercially and otherwise. But uh, were you having to require people to wear the mask and did you have to limit the size of the crowds that came at one time? 
Well, uh, we we requested everybody wear a mask, especially when they were up uh, on the tomato line. They uh, wore masks. We kept plenty of masks there for them. We kept plenty of hand sanitizers, and most people were really good about that. Now, the garden, we weren't quite as uh, – we kept plenty of uh, supplies there. They were uh, uh, kind of let people pick and choose, and, and but they were most – by and large, they were – everybody's concerned so they uh but in a, in a hundred degree temperature it's kind of hard to uh wear a mask and breathe so out in the garden they were not quite as uh but they were distance far enough sure. apart it didn't it really didn't matter sure and uh, again how was you said already you had a good crop uh, production year uh i was concerned about how the weather we had another wet spring uh for our row crop farmers they were delayed a month or so again getting their crops in the ground in the delta uh and then uh, kind of dried off like it usually does in uh august september a little bit now we're having the rains again and you talked about that how was your tomato crop and how did the weather affect you we were late uh we had uh, trouble getting our crop in we were probably three weeks later than maybe what we would have wanted to be uh we had some obstacles which uh actually reduced the production uh, from what we normally would have, our uh, round production was uh, uh, good. Uh, our Roma production was way off basically because of the wet weather and uh, the timing of our planting. But this has been a very unusual year for us. Yeah, and uh, then certainly you referenced it, uh, the tropical storms, the remnants of the hurricanes. This has been a record-setting fall, if you will, uh, tropical season in the Gulf of Mexico and Arkansas has not been spared <laughs> the remnants of all the moisture especially in the southeast corner uh, where you are uh, how have you ever experienced a season like this never uh, we've had uh, we're also in the cattle business and we had trouble uh, getting our hay in getting it in timely uh, getting too big for uh, especially good fertilized uh, now that the, the ground is wet uh, I had to uh, uh, big, it's just been it's been a very uh, unusual uh, year. Everything is you threw the book out and and, and played it day by day. I, I actually had some uh, wheat planted for uh, cover crop and some for uh, cow uh, winter grazing, and we got about twelve inches of rain in just a couple of week time, and uh, and fixing to have to start refertilize some of our my winter pastures just because uh it just leached out all the the fertilizer it's been it's been very challenging and expensive <laughs> and expensive there are expenses involved certainly with it because you do have some loss and uh and then you've got to re-fertilize as you say and and just uh when it dries out so you know we're about to come to the end of this unusual year 2020 we can only hope that 2021 will be different. This pandemic will run its course. And so let's just, you know, hope and pray that uh, 2021 is a better production year for all of our farmers. That, that's exactly right. I'm, I'm, we're always nervous. We're always never know what to expect. But uh, I'm, I'm nervous going into this crop. But I'm going full steam ahead just like it, uh, uh, everything was normal. And uh, we'll just, you have to think on your feet and change from day to day. Now you hire, I meant to ask this a little bit earlier and we'll wrap up with this. I want to ask if, if you were able to benefit from the uh, federal government assistance programs that came out earlier in the year, in particular the uh, 
the payment protection program. I know you hire a lot of farm workers to help you process your tomatoes and, and work in your plant down there. Uh, how did that help you out, if at all? We, we actually, it did, uh, the payment protection did help earlier. The trouble is a uh, majority of our people are on visas, and that didn't qualify. But we still, uh, we still qualified. We still got a nice, uh, uh, and working on the, right now, working on the payment forgiveness, and uh, I think that's a good deal. The, ne the next program that come out, it was a, actually benefited us a little more. I, I was really, when they told me about it, I was kind of skeptical. I said, this can't be right, but uh, it was something uh, we really appreciated and really kind of helped uh, make this uh, expensive year a little go down a little better. Well, good news. I'm glad to know that that did help you, James. And uh, thank you for visiting with us a little bit today. Thank you, thank you for your service here to, to Farm Bureau and going through this uh, process we're going to go through today when determining our policy for the coming year. And uh, let's just, again, as we said, hope that 2021 is a much better year for everybody. Thank you very much. Been speaking with James Meeks of Triple M Farms in Ashley County on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. That's all for this week's Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next Thursday with the latest news, interviews, and updates on Arkansas agriculture.